Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 132, everybody. Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here. Um, Andrew, th- an indulgent one. This is, isn't it, really? Because <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're talking about our jobs, basically. We're talking about press launches and hopefully just kind of lifting the lid a little bit on that because, you know, I think people are sort of interested to know how it all works. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and if, um, dear listeners, you find this just too self-indulgent for words um do tell us um we have this sort of uh strange slightly narcissistic um hope that you might find what follows interesting you might not but but yeah we're just going to look into uh you know how we basically how we do our job a component of our jobs um you know it's not all flying around the world driving nice cars at all but um there is certainly an element of that and it's the element that you probably see most of um so I, we just thought it hopefully might be interesting to sort of lift a little bit a bit and just to sort of discuss you know what we what what's important to us um about um about going on a press launch and of course it's all about staying in the nicest possible hotels and um <laughs> you know <laughs> free gifts that's all that matters, rooms and, um, and first class travel everywhere <laughs> or maybe not. and that's how they get five stars isn't it of course, of course, yeah. I mean. Five-star hotel, five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we mark ours out of ten, though, so, uh, yeah. Oh, that's but, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we've got a couple of things I want to discuss beforehand. Um, yeah. The first of which is the final episode in season one of Last Blast. Yeah. Um, perfect guest, Ian Callum, superstar car designer, Um and actually, it, it it probably feels a bit too early to say this while he's still working, but if he's not the UK's preeminent car designer, I don't know who is. I would think, and I don't know whether you're asking this question, I would think he would say Malcolm Sayer, who's another Jaguar designer who designed the C-type, the D-type, the E-type. Um, but actually, Sayer was predominantly an aerodynamicist. Um, so uh, yeah, somebody yeah, whose yeah. job it was actually just to design um, road cars. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of anybody who's got a clear claim ahead of Ian. 
I mean, you know, his his influence we have seen in so many cars over such a long period of time. Um, it's it's absolutely amazing his uh, his his portfolio stuff. Yeah, it really is. Um, so it was fascinating to talk to him. Um, and this is the first last blast that I've done. You've done all the others so far. Um, yeah, I did this one. Um, and now I must confess. I had to do this one remotely because I was extremely poorly on the day of the interview. I was supposed to go into his place in Warwickshire to Callum um, to interview him face to face. And I woke up feeling dreadful. Um, and actually, I, I had my head in the toilet bowl nice. five minutes before our Zoom call was due to Thanks start. Thanks for sharing. And as, yeah, well, a pleasure. And, I, <laughs> and as I, ha- I was kneeling on the bathroom floor, I was thinking, well, it's off. It's just not, I'm going to have to cancel. Um, but you know what it's like after the episode? You suddenly feel a bit better, don't you? And so I thought, oh, I could do it. I'll just do it. I'll just get on with it. Um, and because he's kind and generous, he just made it very, very straightforward. Um, and so, and he, you know, he did all the heavy lifting. He did all the hard work. Um, and hopefully it's, it's a decent interview. But I just want to play 90 seconds of it now. And this is Ian talking about designing the DB7. I have to mention the DB7. It was. It happened after Ford, but just after Ford, I went to TWR, and um, I was very, very fortunate that uh, the first car that I worked on became the DB7. You know, I had a rather controversial start. It was. It was going to be a Jaguar. Jaguar wasn't interested, and so we changed it all. And contrary to popular belief, we didn't just use the same car. We turned it into an Aston, and um, that really was my my first endeavour as a as a. A full car designer. Believe it or not, I'd never done a full car before. And I didn't tell Tom this until <laughs> after we finished it. He was rather horrified. But um, uh, yeah, so the DB7 to me was a calling card for the rest of my life, really. And uh, I'm still kind of known for it now. And I look at him in the street and I think, yeah, it's quite a, you know, quite a pretty car. And the, the significant thing about it was that um, two things. One is I did it almost entirely more and I had to become very self-critical. And it's a good discipline as a designer. I taught my teams to do this. So you look at it with absolute scrutiny as if someone else had done it. You had to. You couldn't kid yourself. It was good when it wasn't. But I had a lovely moment with this seven. I, uh, when we finished them and I got a prototype or a early production one to drive, I, I took it back up to Dumfries in Scotland. And, um, you know, I always dreamt I would drive back into that town, the car I designed. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal for a young man. The Last Blast podcast is sponsored by Footman James, a car insurance company unlike any other. Footman James exists right at the heart of the car enthusiast scene in the UK, holding regular car meets, publishing reports into the health of the classic car scene in this country, and yes, sponsoring the best car podcast out there. Thank you, Footman James. To find out more, visit footmanjames.co.uk. One of the questions I asked him a bit later on was, how is it that you have been able to have this glittering career? You've got this incredible portfolio that 99% of car designers were killed to have. And of course, he, because he's modest, he just goes, good luck. It was all good luck. Um, and of course it wasn't. He took a gamble in leaving Ford to go and work with Tom Walkinshaw. Um, but that gamble gave him the opportunity to design the DB7. And that was the thing that elevated him. Um, and of course, he followed it up with the Vanquish, with the DB9. But it was that gamble that he took that really made his career. Um, so it wasn't good luck at all. It fortune was fortune favours the well. Yeah, I mean, he was brave, wasn't he? And fortune favours the brave, and in his yeah. case, you know, deservedly so. 
Um, mm. You just think about how many car designs the DB7 has influenced. Um, you know, how many cars would look different, look worse, just, you know, just how much poorer the world of, you know, late 20th and early 21st century automotive design would be without, without Ian's input. And it's not just the glossy stuff, is it? You know, it's saloons and SUVs. All and sorts. All sorts of stuff, yeah. Um, so the my last plus interview with Ian Callum is available now for TI subscribers on the app, on the website, the-intercooler.com. Um, and they're all there, all six episodes of season one. Um, so if you haven't subscribed yet, you could start your one-month free trial now and rattle through all of them if you wanted to. And we are already... Um, um, amassing guests for season two we haven't yet decided when season two is going to go out um but we know from the response we've had that season one has been immensely popular um and we, yeah we're quite proud of it i think you know i think i think we have found a format which works um and um you know so long as we continue to get great guests and like we and we kind of hope that it'll get easier because we'll be able to say, well, you know, Ian yeah. Callum's been on and Adrian Newey's been on and Chris Hoy's been on and so on and so forth. But they're like, oh, well, we, yeah, well, maybe I'll come on too. Um, so it's something we plan on, on keeping going with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, okay, so before we talk about press launches, I've, got, I've been driving a couple of cars and I want to just sort of trot through them quickly. The first um, is the Theon Design um, 964 restoration, which I drove a couple of weeks ago a few weeks ago and it's um i've written about it for the intercooler app and website it's li- it went live today that story um and it's a it's a very interesting car they're an oxfordshire company relatively new um i think this is only the fourth or fifth car the one that i drove the fourth or fifth car that they've actually produced for a customer um and it's i mean it it does seem like it's every week doesn't it that a new Another resto modded yeah. yeah, they just come up all all the time, it seems. Um, so it's not exactly original, but this one's nicely done. You know, it's it looks fantastic. It does look rather a lot like another resto modded nine eleven, and you won't have to think too hard about which one that is. Um, but it's a fantastic looking car. It's done to a good standard. Um, it's a bit cheaper than the other one as well, isn't it? It is. It is a bit cheaper than the other one. I, I suspect. It's a bit underpriced. It, it's three hundred eighty thousand basic before the donor car, before <laughs> local taxes, before any options, and it seems bananas, doesn't it? I actually, I, I checked because I had to remind myself. Currently, well, maybe apart from the um, the Icona models. So what's that? SP three, three. Daytona? Yeah, yeah. It's the most expensive. It's more expensive than any Ferrari you can buy. Apart from that one, yeah. Um, do you know what we so, should do? You know, because it, 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 because I think almost everybody uses use nine six fours as their sort of donor cars for these things, don't they? Yeah. Um, because um, you know, they're reasonably plentiful. Um, they're not that expensive to buy relative to you know more desirable air cooled nine elevens, um, and they're among the best built. Um, you know, they're fully galvanised, so they haven't rotted away. And, and and it's just the kind of obvious choice, isn't it? We ought to just go and drive a standard nine six four Carrera two in really nice condition, just to see where the where where the bar is because i reckon it's been so long since i've been in one of those it's been so long since I, and i reckon you get it and you just think wow this is fantastic mm. i reckon you'd really really <laughs> like it yeah i'd like to drive one i've i've driven a 964 briefly but not as much as i'd like um but yeah it's a good idea the trouble with these resto mods is that to when they're built in very low volumes and there's no scale um 
and you want to do it to a high standard with and it's hand built yeah. using top notch components the price of it all just spirals hmm. so quickly and it's, and, and, and it's fine because they sort of go beyond you know being a car don't they and they become a statement or they become a bit of artwork or, yeah. or whatever um mm. and that i guess is you know that and the exclusivity is where the if, if you want to call it as such the value lies but there's a thing to drive i haven't driven this thing i'm sure it's lovely but it's probably not 10 times as good as a 964 is it probably not it's always diminishing returns isn't it as cars become more, more yeah. expensive and it's um, yeah so you, you'd have to be that. buying into the look and I guess yeah. to some extent we should, tr- we, we should do a story which goes look this is the car that everyone turns to when they want to rest in modern 911 mm. why yeah. um, and just how good is it before you've even touched it I it'd also it be, be fantastic there are some people who are suggesting that all 964s are being turned into resto modded 911s I think Porsche yeah. built you think they're going to run out of 964s I think Porsche built something like 60,000 in all just over half of those were coupes um, so you know, I think Singer. And how built many of those are rear drives? I guess the majority, the majority would be rear drives. I guess. I think so. I mean, the four-wheel drive came first, didn't it? So I'd have to check. But I, the point is, there are plenty out there. I'm sure there are plenty of them out there. But yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a fun thing to do. Um, I just worry that you know, uh, building five or six cars a year when and starting with a starting price of three hundred eighty thousand. I think Theon Design have got a lot of work to do. They need to get to a point where they can start charging more because this game is just stupidly expensive um, and it's not sustainable until you're building a certain number of cars and you're charging a certain amount but anyway it's, it's all in the story the, it's live on the Intercooler Apple website now to so go and check it out if you want to know more about the Theon Porsche um, if, I, if I was very rich I'd just, stockpile, I'd just start stockpiling 964 Carrera 2s with, my, <laughs> with decent shells um, I mean if you think about it you know Mark II Escort prices you know just find a basic yeah. stock Mark II Escort and it's worth tens of thousands of pounds because they've all been turned into rally cars and people um, always Dodge said didn't they, why didn't we that's right and about the Escorts people people said why didn't someone tell me and I would have stashed them away so you're right maybe we need to yeah, get ahead exactly. of the curve and maybe the 964 yeah, is the next and one. you know try and find you know I'm not joking the, the number of Dodge Chargers of 440RT Dodge Chargers that got Muller making the Dukes of Hazard series uh mm. was so great um that you know that's actually had a material effect on, on on the number of those that remain um so yeah maybe that's what we should do maybe we should be we we, we should be in the stockpiling 964 business um sadly neither of us is rich uh no you did say that at the oh, start well. didn't you okay yes <laughs> well not yet let me talk about another car that i've been driving recently uh very different sort of car you came in it with me the other day andrew it's bright greeny yellow um it's the oh, Gen- that, yeah. genesis gv60 um this was the dual motor one with 400 and something horsepower um top of the top of the line uh, model and it's the genesis equivalent of the kia ev6 or the hyundai ionic 5 yeah basic price 65,000 <clears> pounds <throat> with options this car Seventy-five thousand pounds. I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I, it's just too much money. I mean, I went in it with you. I didn't drive it, but it seemed, you know, a nice enough thing, uh, despite the fact that <laughs> the claim range and the actual range seemed to be so wildly quite different. Um, different. Um, I mean, we left our food issue. You didn't even know if you're going to get home. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, it's... I, who's going to... Sp- I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe that's just what people do. Maybe people are that rich that, you know, you can buy a... You know, a well-equipped, but in other ways, you know, fluently executed, but in no way remarkable electric car. And think, you know, I'm going to spend the same money on this as I might a four-litre Porsche Cayman, a Cayman mm. GTS. It's that money, isn't it? <laughs> and also, no one knows what Genesis is here in the UK. It's new. It's brand new here. It doesn't have a lot yeah, of currency, I guess you can't, you, you, Everyone has to start somewhere and you can't blame them for being new. But yeah. I just, I just, I mean, that's the problem with these electric cars. You know, I think, you know, an EV6 or an Ionic 5, I think, you know, that for what they do, in my view, they're the best that you can get. You know, I think they're massively better than anything that um, I've driven that rivals them from the Volkswagen group. But they're just so much money, aren't they? Mm. Um, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable, and I guess that they maybe they have to be because maybe that's you know, the manufacturers have to recoup the enormous cost of developing the entirely new platforms that these things require, and maybe when they become uh, more popular and there are many more of them, the prices will come down and it'll just seem more normal. But the idea of a what is it? It's a four-stroke, five-street, mid-sized crossover SUV. Yeah, to me that's a thirty-grand car. It's not a seventy-five thousand-pound car. It is staggering. I, I just had to mention yeah. it because it's a nice enough thing to drive. Um, the low-speed ride is not brilliant. Um, the interior is... I mean, it's got a few sort of design flourishes, but I don't think it's incredible. I don't think it's really notable. Um, but it's, it's just the price of these things. I, I mm. really can't get my head around it. And it's, you know, it's got... Yeah. I'm looking at it now. It's got almost 500 horsepower, so... It's got some go. Um, I yeah, but it needs that, doesn't it? Because it's so heavy. Because <laughs> it's so heavy. I got into it, um, and it was showing ninety percent charge, and it reckoned it would do one hundred and ninety miles, um, which is a good eighty short of more than that. Actually, it's almost it's a hundred short of the claimed combined range. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's a nice thing to drive, nice enough thing to drive, but it's so much money, and I'm just not convinced by its utility. So, interesting Time to thing. move on. Let's move it on. So, press launches. Um, press launches. Yeah, I've been on a bit of a journey with press launches. I, I think I got to a point where I was doing so many of them um, that I just ran out of patience with them, and mm. I began to find them, really frustra- find them really frustrating. I'm sure you've been there with them yeah i we, I, I guess where we have to be careful is you know the, the the sort of there's a there's the outward face of the press launch is we're usually in uh a place where the weather is good on roads that look nice um and they tend to put us up in quite nice hotels um and you know if you are working in an office um or or, or doing any number of jobs the sort of jobs that, that most people do um you know we are going to seriously struggle to get anyone to feel sorry for us over the course of the next half an hour that we talk about this <laughs> um and it's not really our purpose in talking about these things um really what i want to talk about is those launches which help us do our jobs better 
and produce a better product as a result, um, which you know hopefully is important to people who consume that product because you know we like to think ourselves as you know reasonably professional motoring journalists um, who take pride in what we do. And if, for instance, you know somebody decides to launch a car at a hotel in the middle of an enormous sprawling city because it's a posh hotel and it somehow fits with their brand, but what that actually means is you know, maybe you've got three hours driving the car and you have to spend an hour at the beginning, an hour at the end, getting in and out of that city, um, then that's, you know, to us, that's just really, really frustrating. Um, you know, if you have a press launch, and I've been on one of these, where the route, and, you know, when we go on press launches, they always have the sort of the route that they would like you to stick to. You don't always do it, but sometimes you do if it looks good or if time is very short or whatever and the route for this was out of one town down a dual carriageway to a roundabout at the other end of the dual carriageway <laughs> turn around and come straight back again um and you are meant to somehow be able to write a comprehensive evaluation of the car on the back of that it's a nonsense mm. um but that's you know sometimes that's what happens and yeah it's you know to me the press launches that annoy me most are those where there's just needless amounts of messing about uh on transfer coaches or just waiting around um and all that is time you could be you know really i only want to do two things at a a press launch i want to talk to engineers i want to drive the car don't really want to do anything else um and you have these press conferences where they just read the press pack to you i've already got the press pack i can read it myself thanks (laughs) yeah you know tell us something i don't already know so i'm going to go off on one in a minute Um, okay uh, Shall I yeah, jump in? Sorry. Yeah, jump, <laughs> Let's, please. Just to sort of set the scene a little bit. What's the glitziest press launch you've been on? The glitzy? Well, it depends how you measure it. Yeah. Um, I did once go on a my back launch somewhere in the Middle East where I had, <laughs> I had two butlers. I had a daily butler and a night butler. Um, and they were posted outside my room. And apart from saying hello to them as I went in and out of that room, that was the only contact I had. And I think they must be really disappointed because they were there literally to do, you know, whatever I wanted. I can't even imagine what that might have been. Um, I went on one in California at a place called Pelican Hill where I had... My hotel room had four bedrooms and two garages. I thought that was quite impressive. What? Um, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't, yeah um, and all you've, sorts. You've done the private jet thing from Farnborough or the Harris Terminal? Well, I mean, we, 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 we do do, we, we do actually do um, quite a lot of that. But sometimes, very rarely, you get on what people think of private jets is like where basically you walk into it and it's got four seats and they're all yeah. thrones but actually there are lots of private jets which are basically economy class little airliners yeah um and car manufacturers charter them because it's cheaper than to do it that way than and to pay airlines to fly us about uh, and more flexible because it takes off when you want it to goes exactly where you want it to and, and and leaves when you want it to um and if journalists and if they're you know if a journalist is late if they're sufficiently important and sadly some of them are um they'll just delay the plane um so it, it's done for those reasons it's very very rare but i mean it has happened um i can remember the first launch i ever went on which is an, the alpha 164 um and we drove down through france and ended up bordeaux way i think i got caught for speeding alfa romeo paid the fine <laughs> couldn't believe that it was one of those 900 franc fines um Whoa. that would never happen these days 
Um, and then the idea was is that I think one group drove the cars out and another group drove the cars back. So we were flown home. And so we went to Bordeaux Airport and got on a little PJ. And I can remember finding under my seat, instead of a life jacket, a little drinks cabinet and thinking, well, these guys got their priorities right. Um, and I was, what was I, 23 at the time. I just thinking, oh, my God, this is the world I have landed in. I you know, yeah. like all my Christmases come at one. And of course, 99.9% of them aren't like that. But um, it was a bit of an eye opener. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I've, done, I've done some glitzy ones. You know, we've, we've done um, front of the plane into the Middle East, Oman, I think it was, and then to the Ritz-Carlton or some yeah. swanky hotel and then yeah. my room is a a standalone villa with its own in its own compound with a pool um and you know it's it's just i'm i don't know it sounds all whizzy but i'm actually just so unmoved by that stuff now i just don't care i just want a reasonably comfortable the, the room thing is good roads plenty yes. of time in the car i don't want to be in the air for hours i don't want to be hanging around for hours i don't want a long transfer you know? No, I see. I quite well, okay. I disagree with you with being in the air for hours. I love being. It's one of the reasons I do. I do do the long distance ones um, because I just like twelve hours at forty thousand feet where no one can get at you because it just it's just so efficient for me. It's just yeah. the amount of work you can get done, and also because you know I am an absolute sucker for displacement activities. Mm. Um, you know, and I can't just, you know, be looking through the classifieds, um, yeah. you know, wandering around piston heads or whatever, really all, cause I'm not very good at, you know, I get very bored watching movies and there's really very little else you can do. So it kind of forces me to work. So, um, yeah, I don't mind that. What I hate are the little European ones where, you know, for me, it's, it's two hours to the airport. Fair enough. Um, and then you're in the long-term car park and then you're ready for the long term, but all the stuff that you do which everybody does when they go on holiday, but instead of going on holiday and at least being away from it for a week somewhere nice and sunny, which is what most people do when they go and lie on a beach or whatever, you know, we do all that. We then drive a car and then the following day we do it all over again to come back. And, you know, and, and if you look at the component, you know, it's quite often you'll take, well, most car lots, you they take two days of your life and you drive a car in those two days, particularly if you're sharing it with somebody else, which mm. is usually, also usually what happens. You'll drive the car. You might get three hours of actual driving the car yourself. And it's taken two days of your life to drive a car for three hours. And I just, I just think there's got to be a better way. Mm. Yeah. So what, what does a good press launch look like? Um, I mean, I, I think one of the ones that really stands out for me, and because it was so simple, um, it was when the current Mazda MX-5 was new and it had just arrived in the UK. Um, they flew... A bunch of us, Ryanair or EasyJet, from yep. one of the London airports up to Inverness. The yep. cars were waiting there for us. Um, yep. And the absolute masterstroke of this one was that somehow I got lucky and landed a car to myself. Yeah. And then the route went up to a good chunk of the North Coast 500. So the country's best roads. Um, this was Ashes time. And so I had TMS on. By myself, just bombing along, just thinking. That's test match special to anybody who aren't cricket fans, and it, it was just fantastic. And then, you know, we spent almost all day in the car. Got home. I think there was a relaxed, low-key dinner, um, a little bit more time in the car the next day, and then home. Okay. And that. So is the worst launch I've ever been in. 
Okay, yeah. so can I give you the worst one? Because it also happens to be an MX-5 launch. Oh, I think, you've, I think you've mentioned this one before. This is the one where you're in the air for longer than you were on the ground. Is that right? Uh, or a multiple? Just a bit. So <laughs> this was the third generation MX-5, which they decided to launch in Hawaii. I know, yeah. I know no one's feeling sorry for me. And they launched it in Hawaii because it was exactly halfway between their two biggest markets, which are Japan and North America. Mm. So I, I, I will cut this very short. Um, but we flew to L.A., we then flew to Honolulu. We then flew to another island where the launch was taking place. Um, we had the car for an hour and a half. But we had to divide it between myself and the person I was sharing it with. The island we were on was so choked with traffic, most of whom appeared to be police cars. We eventually found one road on which the entire launch just drove up and down because it was the only road on the island worth driving up and down. Anyway, so the long and the short it was... I travelled for 44 hours to drive a car for 45 minutes on a rubbish road. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So a minute. Um, so one to one. One hour, hour per travel ratio. per minute of actually doing the job. Yeah, that's and bananas. And of course, you know, uh, of course, I went to Hawaii and, you know, and it was amazing. And the hotels, I can remember, people don't believe me when I say this, but the swimming pool had fish in it. Uh, big fish. Um, <laughs> and uh, all that was was you know amazing and incredible but it's not actually what i went there to do well this is i went it, there right? to drive a car this is why we're it this sounds like a grumble because actually what we want is to have an opportunity to properly assess the car that we're there to drive That's we it. want access to um engineers maybe designers maybe executives but ideally the engineers responsible for the car yeah. um we want plenty of seat time we want great roads um, because that's how you get to properly understand the car that you're driving. Um, and that's how you get to produce your best work. And that's better for everyone reading it. But it's so rare. It's so rare that the conditions are right for us to be able to do um, the best job that we possibly can because the manufacturers have their own priorities their own things that they want to, their own boxes that mm. they want to tick. And it does seem to be the case that, I think maybe not so much anymore, but they want to go to a hotel that no other manufacturer has used. They want to go to, that hotel has to be particularly swanky. It has to be, I don't know what it is that they want. They want to somehow reflect what they consider to be um, their brand or the brand of the particular car. Um, forgetting entirely that none of that stuff is interesting to any of us if it means we're driving on because bad roads if it means we have very little seat time it's not like it's like a, a, you know, a romantic weekend away no. <coughs> excuse me you're not there with your with your no. other half you're there to work you're there to do a job you know, to me what is important about a hotel is it has a comfortable bed air conditioning or wi-fi that works that's it yeah <laughs> and really you know i need to be able to get a decent night's sleep because you know i'll probably need to drive a car quite fast in the morning Beyond that, you know, and yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's hard. We, we, we can bang on about it, um, but it's, um, you know, I'm, and I know that we're spoiled and I know we're lucky and I know that we're privileged, but the, and really the only fr- time that I find car launches frustrating is when, you know, what they have done to introduce you, you, introduce you to their car is actually getting in the way of you finding out about that car uh, and sometimes it actually it, it becomes completely counterproductive because you know if you are in a launch where there's very little seat time 
and there aren't any engine, engine any engineers around and the route is very restricted and it's all smoother you just start thinking well what don't they want you to know yeah what are they trying to i mean obviously any any car manufacturer is going to choose a launch venue and a launch event which suits the car they're trying to launch i mean that's natural and understandable and fine but if they actually go so far uh, as to limit um your exposure to the car how you can drive it where you can drive it you just start to think well you know they don't actually want you to get underneath the skin of this car and there therefore must be a reason for that and then i start getting all very i start getting very suspicious and then i go really really looking for um for everything so yeah it can it it, it can backfire i notice that my attitude towards changes and towards launches and how i prefer them to be configured <laughs> depended slightly on my employment situation if i was on staff on a car magazine I didn't mind if we got to the airport at midday and flew at two and arrived and had a little bit of time in the car and then a dinner and then we took our time the next day and didn't arrive back until a bit late because you're getting paid a certain amount anyway. You're on someone else's clock, you know, and Mm. if there's no opportunity to sit down and write, so be it. I'll do it when I get into the office. You know, and that's all fair enough. But when, but when you work for yourself, when you're freelance, um, and time literally is money, those yeah. faffy launches where you're hanging around, where it's a late start, where it's, um, you know, where there's a long bus transfer where you can't really get much done, that's mm. they become increasingly frustrating, don't they? And don't you just appreciate those where they have quite clearly, where the manufacturers quite clearly thought, well, okay. We're inviting these journalists out to drive these cars. How can we help them do their job? What is going to be important to them? Um, mm. And you know, that, to me, is, you know, there are certain manufacturers who appear not to think about that at all. They just think, well, we want to introduce this car in a certain way. Um, and as you say, we want to stay in this hotel and we'll do everything for our own convenience um, and the way we want it to be. And, you know, they should just be, you know, they should just feel lucky to be invited. And so, you know, they get to come along and we won't pay any attention to what they really need to do because it just doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes, you know, you get to a launch and you just know that they've really, really thought because, I mean, I can, okay, so an example was um, the Aston Martin DB9 launch, which is going back to whatever we're talking about, 2003, something like that. Um, The hotel was on the route, Mm. you literally, um, and the route was like the Col de Vence in the south of France. And you literally, just, literally drove out of the hotel, turned left, amazing road. Perfect. Yeah? Yeah. So no faffing about. And they had, you know, because they knew it was a good car and because, you know, they, you know, they, they really wanted to bang the drum. They had all the executives and the designers and the engineers that were there. Um, and, you know, it was South of France. So it didn't take very long to get there. And the whole thing just, it was just set up for the people that they were inviting journalists and you know okay i'm sure that i can't even remember the hotel i think it was I'm sure it's perfectly nice but that's not what you remember what i remember was appreciating so much that somebody had thought about how i was going to do my job um and you know and that's what you need you don't need five-star restaurants five-star hotels you know you need designers engineers executives and a decent opportunity to drive the car and that is it what do you make of the the five course fine dining meal in the evening that takes three hours um, i just much rather not have it yeah 
Um, something quick we always and say and this. We, we, we always say this, don't we, dear Dan? You and I, and you know, you know, almost all the people, because we tend to hang out with similar like-minded individuals. Yeah. We'll always just go. Can we not just go and find a little? burger bar around the corner and mm. you know have a couple of beers hang out with the locals have steak steak free and go to bed mm. that's what everybody <laughs> i know actually wants to do oh yeah. no 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 you've got to go and have the gastronomic tasting menu and you've got to yeah. drink that wine with that course and that wine with that course and you're sitting there just thinking this is all the time i could be writing or sleeping <laughs> um or you know or doing something else um and yeah and sometimes you do find certain manufacturers who completely get this. And this is where you, we draw a distinction between, uh, you know, car manufacturers um, who organise them and then the sort of, you know, the, for instance, you know, if there's a, a German car manufacturer, you will be invited on the launch by the UK press office. And sometimes the UK press offices will go, well, you know, maybe if you're there for two nights, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, we have to go to the big dinner on the first night, but maybe we can sneak away on the second night. And then you'll just do that. And then you'll just go out somewhere local and get something simple and nice and a couple of beers. And it's just, that's all we want to do. But the problem is, you know, sort of what how would we describe ourselves sort of like hardcore motoring media we're not the only people who get invited on these things you know they have um you know to invite the sort of the national press they have to invite influencers you know these days they have to invite lifestyle media and you know lots of these people are much more interested in the side of the swimming pool than you know the dynamics of the car mm. um and they don't want to drive the car very fast they just want to go and you know, soak up the luxury and feel, yeah. you know, appreciated and, you know, and, and everything. I, I, and all the stuff that you and I not only don't care about, but I actually find all that stuff gets in the way. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, maybe have a certain sympathy, sympathy for the manufacturer because they've got to have a launch, which will somehow keep you and me happy and also, you know, members of the lifestyle media. I mean, you hear stories, you know, there, and this has certainly happened, where people have been sent by their editors on car launches who don't know how to drive, literally don't have a driving license mm. um, because they come from some glossy magazine and it's not, not appears not to have occurred to anyone that driving the car might in some way be important. Um, and, you know, and because, you know, the people who read those magazines also buy cars um, and they probably have massive circulations and everything else you know the the poor pr teams have to keep them happy too and so you have to have a launch um in a hotel which you know has a spa and they can have endless treatments and you know this that and the other when you and i are just sitting there thinking i want to drive the car uh, mm. and of course you know what they don't do they don't mix them up so we so we very rarely find ourselves on the same the same rotation as them so you know there is some flexibility to you know for us to be driving the cars when they're you know having their nails done or whatever um but nevertheless you know you do have these sort of one size fits all launches um which you know can be a bit frustrating that's right and it's not just uh different media but different territories different nations so uh some of us particularly the uk we and plenty of others we want to drive the car we want to spend time with the car and with the engineers and that's what's important but there are other nations whose journalists seem to expect different things of these launches and they do want the pool and they do want the treatments and they do want the meal and the luxury. Um, and so to some well, extent... I quite like those things if I was on holiday. Why not? If was, you know, but it's not what I'm there to do. Yeah. And that's what I don't understand. That's the disconnect. You know, you are there to do a job. 
And if you take pride in your work, surely you want to do your job as, 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 as well as you possibly can. And if you really think that doing your job as well as you possibly can is, you know, sitting on a lilo in a pool rather than out there driving the car, your priorities are very different to mine. So one of my favourite ever launches, um, this goes back a few years, was the, so when the Range Rover Sport, the second generation Range Rover Sport was new, um, mm. and Land Rover did the international media launch out of Cheltenham, hotel in Cheltenham. Um, right. and this was handy for me because I live in Bristol. You live in Bristol. So yeah. it's a 50 minute drive to the hotel, which is just fantastic. You know, we're so used to bombing along first thing in the morning, aren't we, to Heathrow or Gatwick or heaven forbid yeah. Luton or something. Um, and so to be so close to home is brilliant. Um, but the fantastic thing about this launch was that it was a two-day thing. Um, and as Land Rover often do with their events, they put on a titanic route. Um, mm. I remember it went through uh, South Wales into Mid Wales. I don't think we quite went to North Wales, but then we came back down into the Cotswolds um, and ended up at it's Cotswold Airport, isn't it? Um, where we Cotswold Airport, yeah. Yeah, where we drove through... Um, a, a gutted, essentially, 747. And they'd, I don't know how they did it, but they'd built all these ramps going up into the fuselage and along. Um, yeah. And you'd be at 45 degrees going through this fuselage. fuselage. You know, that's, it doesn't really help you with your job. It's just a cool thing to get to do. But the thing about this launch was that there was so much time in the car. There was so much time on great roads. And helpfully, roads that I know really, really well from having driven on them for 10 years in South Wales yeah. in particular. Um, lots of different types of roads, you know, narrow tracks, good flowing um, A roads, tight, twisty B roads, bit of sort of dual carriageway stuff. So it's, and some urban stuff as well. So it's a thorough assessment of the car. But they also put on, um, and I, to this day, I don't know wh- where it was exactly, but it's somewhere in South or Mid Wales. We pulled off the road onto a gravel track into the forest and we were stopped by someone in a high vis who said, so we're now, you're now on a gravel track. This is a rally stage, actually. Um, there are no speed limits. Enjoy. And so when, when does someone, when do you ever hear that? So off we went, drive tearing down boots. this gravel rally stage as fast as we dared. Um, yeah. That was absolutely fantastic. And so... Yeah, there is something about the UK-based international media launch that <laughs> I am Yeah, awful. but they don't like doing it, do it? Because, you know, we're all very used to going over to, yeah. to Europe or the US or wherever and driving on, you know, on the right-hand side of the road. But it, it doesn't work the other way around. Well, and it um, wouldn't because um, overseas journalists just don't do it. No. You know, unless you're from no. Oz or somewhere, you, you, just, you just don't do it. No, um, and, 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 and you know, as we all did when we first drove on what we call the wrong side of the road, um, it's quite intimidating, and that gets in the way of you doing your job too. So there are very few mm. internationals that happen um, over here. They did have the GD3 RS international yeah. um, over here, but it was a Silverstone, and we weren't driving on the road. So um, you know, so that's why they did that. What yeah. we're seeing a bit more of, and Porsche is a good example. Um, and it doesn't happen all the time, it happens occasionally, but rather than do uh, the international media launch, what they'll do is they'll get a car into the UK. It might be a left-hand drive car, that's fine, but they, and it might be 
I don't know, an engineering car or something, but they'll borrow a car. Um, and at the same time as the media launch, they'll just invite a handful of journalists to go and take it away for a day. And that means we well, have lots of time with the car, but it also means we can go where we want with it within reason. Um, and finding roads that we're familiar with, I'd rather drive a car on a road that I knew for 10 miles than one I didn't know for 30 or 40, probably. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, driving on roads that are that you know, mm. but are also which are relevant to the majority of people who are going to read what you write, yeah. um, is such a an important component of you know going back to this business of you know doing your job well and of course it's convenient if cars come to us or you don't have to go very far to drive them and that's great and you know and again as freelancers that is important because you know none of us gets paid very much money um you know it's not as if you're ever going to become a rich person doing this um and you know if you can find a way of you know efficiently i'm very lucky where i live you know i can be on a decent road three minutes from leaving my front door um and i have routes around here which you know i can do a half hour route around here which i will learn more about the car that i'm driving than i will in a, you know a two-day launch in i don't know malaga or barcelona mm-hmm. or munich or wherever we often end up um and so yeah and i appreciate that too because again it just allows me to do a better job um and if that allows me also to be more efficient and therefore i don't spend two days um you know going to somewhere to drive a car but i can do it in the morning or an afternoon i get a better story and i get a day and a half where i can work on doing other things and that's you know for me it's important because you know this business doesn't pay you know massive amounts of money have we disappeared up our own fundaments yet i i do I did, there was a there, 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 there was a there was a film that was made um years ago um called when rover met bmw um, and it was all about BMW buying Rover, and there was a component of it which was about the press launch of some new Rover. And they were interviewing journalists as they came off a plane, and the PRs were standing there. And I think it must have been a private plane because one of the journalists complained about the quality of the wine that had been provided on the plane. Um, I won't name him. He's not. He's, sadly, he's passed away, so I could name him, um, but it does not really the point. But I am just aware of. <laughs> just how you know lucky we are um, and also how lucky we are perceived to be and you know i i, I hope that none of what we said has descended into spoiled brattery it, it, it may have done and if it does it's, it's inadvertent and i apologize but it's hopefully just interesting to to understand a little bit about what's important to us about how we bring to you what we what we do you know most days of our life and the point is we we couldn't be further from that crowd who are complaining about the quality of the wine. We're worried about the quality no. of the roads and the seat time. Yes. But okay, there are yes. two two things that I want to address quickly. Is Go it on. conceivable that a fancy hotel, a private jet, um, a gift? Well, we haven't even spoken about gifts. Um, gifts, blags. <laughs> well, they don't the happen blag. anymore, do they? The blag. They don't happen anymore. But is it conceivable that all of that stuff possibly? sways any journalist into writing a more positive review because people will assume that's the whole point of it all absolutely it must because they wouldn't do it if it didn't yeah it Mm. has to whether it would sway you or me um 
I would sincerely, profoundly hope not, and I believe it doesn't. Um, but given that you can't have two identical experiences but where you change one component and then read what you write as a result, um, I don't know. Okay, what, what does make a difference is if a manufacturer has actually gone to the effort of allowing you to really experience the car, to really get under its skin, um, you are going to write a richer story, a more detailed story. Um, and I, you know, unless the car is terrible, um, I can't help but thinking that is going to give people a better impression of that car. Um, and so, you know, to an extent, maybe that does make a difference. I really, really, really don't think that the quality of the hotel um, or the food or the amount of, you know, genuflecting that goes on it w w would make a, any kind of difference at all to anyone who could uh, hold their head up high and say, I'm a proper motoring journalist. Um, but clearly, the car manufacturers take a different view. They must have some kind of belief. Or, or maybe they just do it because they feel that whatever they do, they are representing their brand. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it, would be, it would be difficult for Rolls-Royce to do a launch out of a Premier Inn. Yeah, I think Premier Inns are fantastic. Um, you know, they're exactly what I want. They have air conditioning that works. They have comfortable beds and they've got Wi-Fi, okay? I understand why Rolls-Royce would never, ever launch a car out of a Premier Inn. Um, but, you know, it's because, you know, they ha everything they do has to represent their brand. So if you go on a Rolls-Royce launch, you are going to end up you know, in a very nice launch. But... But if you're going on a launch of a car where that's, you know, that's not such an issue, then I suppose, you know, I guess there will be just journalists who who, who don't appreciate that. Um, but I would so, so, so much rather stay somewhere quite modest um, if it meant that I could spend more time driving the car and driving the car on roads that help me understand that car better. Yeah. Okay, last thing then on this topic that I want to raise. So very often, yeah. actually, it almost entirely is the case. When you go on these events, you share a car with another journalist. <laughs> hopefully someone you know. Hopefully someone yeah. you like and get on with and trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. But often it's someone you've never met. And you might yeah. be in the car for six hours or more with them. And that really puts, a, puts your conversational energies and abilities to the test, doesn't it? But Yeah. We've all shared cars with drivers who made us anxious. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is a fairly terrible position to find yourself in when you think that every corner you're going to have a crash. That's awful, isn't it? Well, it has happened. Um, you know, one of my oldest, bestest friends in this business um, is a tetraplegic, and he was made that way because the person who he was driving, who was driving him, wouldn't slow down. Yeah. Um, and this happened, I think, in 1989. Um, and there was an accident. The driver walked away. Um, and my friend has not been, you know, had the quality of life he might reasonably have, you know, had mm. a right to expect. Um, so, you know, it does happen. And it is serious, you know, yeah. I am, I am so, you know, even if there's a, you know, I'm being driven by a perfectly safe driver... I'm such a terrible passenger. Literally, the first thing I do if I know I'm going on a launch, you know, the invitation comes in, will you come here and drive that, is I ring up the manufacturer and I go, who else is going? 
and then you know i'll get a list of journalist names and then i'll you know i'll go okay fine well i'll share with him and you know andrew english one of ti's most um esteemed contributors is one of the first people i'll ring because you know you could drive to the moon and back and he'd never put a wheel wrong mm-hmm. um and also he's great comfortable the great company is an old buddy and we get on terribly well but number one is is he safe yeah and is he going to be considerate because actually you can be with some drivers who are really 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 good drivers yeah um but they still go screaming around public roads at speeds you just don't think is appropriate even though they might be completely safe you know perhaps they're not considering the effect you know that seeing some supercar appearing sideways out of a corner might have on some um you know unsuspecting other road user and that makes me nervous and uncomfortable um and you know because i hate so much the idea of someone sitting next to me Mm. and me making them feel nervous and uncomfortable um i will you know i will only team up with um people that i know are going to be are fine because it's just it's just awful just for some balance um it, it does happen occasionally that you find yourself with a very experienced driver skillful but um with you know enough caution um and they are knowledgeable and having a conversation with them as you drive and as they drive and sharing your impressions together really helps it helps you build a full picture of the car so that is that's a very important component of press launch is who you find yourself sharing a car with it can go either way um good well press launches as we we said it would be indulgent and it was so don't at yeah. us. Um, okay, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate and review the podcast. You're doing it and it's really helping, but don't stop. Keep going. Um, go and check out The Intercooler, the-intercooler.com. If you haven't already, you can start your free trial. Every last Blast podcast is on there waiting for you. Our daily articles are waiting there for you. Um, there are literally hundreds or more articles waiting, a million words ready, waiting for you to go and read them. Um, and you get, get access to every single one of them if you subscribe today. Um, but let's end this podcast with a listener question, which comes Ooh, from good. Michael I T. I always forget you're going to do this. <laughs> Sorry, it comes good. from who? Michael T. Michael T. Um, and it's a long question, but I'm, just, I'm going to summarise it. Is it okay. worth paying top money for branded tyres? And I just want to give you... I've looked into this a little bit. I just want to give you an example and this is for my car, my Golf. Um, I'm looking at a website, and I could spend £122 on a Michelin Pilot Sport 5. That's the most expensive tyre I'm seeing. However, mm-hmm. you know, there's a load of budget stuff for 70-odd quid. But I can see a Bridgestone for 90 I can see a, uh, a Yokohama for 90 a Toyo for 90 a Dunlop for 95 you know, there are brand names here for significantly less than the most expensive Michelin or Pirelli. Yeah. Should I should I spend another 30 quid a corner? Another 120 quid in all on a brand? Okay. Type? Well, no, I, I think you probably shouldn't. I mean, you know, I'm sure like you, I have done many, many tyre tests. Um, you know, proper tyre tests with instrumentation, with um, yeah. objective and subjective components on a range of different surfaces, um over the years and i've tested conventional sort of everyday um road tires and track day tires and and all this sort of stuff um so i i have in my head built up a you know an idea of whether you know it it makes sense to 
um to spend the extra and you know do i think it's worth spending another 30 quid a corner to get a a michelin over a continental now obviously tires vary from you know from car to car and from tire to tire but generally speaking no i wouldn't however do i think it is it, it is worthwhile spending money on getting a decent tire from a decent manufacturer um a hundred percent i do you know tires tend to sort of split into three categories they're the sort of there's the absolute bargain basement budget stuff i'm not talking about remolds and that sort of thing but just you know real you know bargain um budget tires there's a lot of mid-range stuff which is good and then there is the the top of the range stuff which are from most of the manufacturers that most people are likely to have heard of but funnily enough i had i had exactly this um with we have a family golf um which we just use for knocking about um and it's five years old um and its tires needed replacing um very recently and i i had exactly this you know and and, this exact thought process do i go for a sort of mid-range tire which i could have done very very easily and i just thought you know the thing about a tire is it's what connects the car to the ground yeah it's the in terms of the safety of you and your family and do i really want to save 15 quid a corner um you know and and to even any extent compromise the safety of my my wife my children anybody else who might be in it or do i just want you know the best i can afford so i put a load of i put put a set of continentals on it because you know that peace of mind um that you really have got the best tire on the car that you know that you can get is worth more to me than you know a few quid a corner so you know i i always would you know we've got we've got a toyota igo here that's on continentals too um it's probably the best shot igo in the world but you know that's the that's the car my children learned to drive on i'm not going to compromise on that it's like it's like you know if you race it's like buying a cheap helmet why would you you know, if you can't afford a decent helmet, don't race. Don't put your brain in something which isn't going to protect it properly. You know, don't put your children in something which aren't going to take, protect them properly. So, yeah, you know, I would, you know, I would definitely shop around among the premium brands. Um, and, you know, I, you know, there might be, you know, some manufacturers in the sort of middle order thing, which are thinking, well, this is all very unfair because actually all they're buying is a name and our are just as good as theirs. And I haven't tested everything. So, you know, maybe that's the case. But I don't know. Or what yeah. I do know is that if you go and buy a tyre from, you know, from Continental, from Pirelli, from Goodyear, from Dunlop, you're going to get a good tyre. And do you really want family your friends your children to have anything else underneath them connecting them to the road i don't there you go michael thank you i think the answer is yes um so (laughs) thanks for your question get your get your questions across and we'll end the podcast with another next week thanks Thanks.